wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is a show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is a show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Hey, g'day friends, it's Will here, pastor of the Paravista Angola Adventist Churches in Adelaide, South Australia. I want to thank you for joining our live show today. I have in the studio with me uh, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson, who will be taking our uh, the main bulk of our content today. So welcome to you this afternoon, Pastor Brenton. Thank you, Will. It's nice to be with you all again. Yeah. Hey, look, I just want to apologize. We just had a few technical difficulties there, just trying to go live on air, and uh, I think we've sorted it out. So I if think you're we still, have, yeah. you're still listening there in Radio Land, we want to appreciate and we want to just extend our apologies out to you for that uh, technical difficulty. But hey, we're going live and we're here wherever you may be tuning in from across uh, the Adelaide region or interstate across the country. We want to welcome you, especially for tuning in for our Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A uh, show today. So we kick off a new theme for our show today, and the theme that we will be looking at, Brendan, and the rest of our team is five biblical roads all Christians travel. Interesting one. Yeah, very catchy title there, five biblical roads all Christians travel. And uh, today, you and I, Brendan, we're going to be looking at the question, the Calvary Road is sacrifice just for Christ. So it's an interesting topic that is, uh, we're going to dive into. And so um, I know that we're going to be opening the Bible together and looking at a particular passage um, in the Gospels. So uh, looking forward to that, Brenton. And um, we have a, a book offer that we're going to promote in a few moments as well. And uh, just want you to tune in uh, just before we promote that book offer. But before we do, uh, Brenton, um, we just have our quick World Watch segment, and what I'd wanted to do it for our time today with our listeners, I wanted to just share an article uh, from the uh, Amazing Facts uh, website, and they have a blog section where they have various writers and editors um, uploading certain, uh, you know, mini pieces, I guess. Um, and I really enjoy this article, and not just this article, but the the content that is in the AF Blocks it's website. A very, it's a very topical one you're yeah. looking at. So, so, yeah. so the topic that we're looking at, the, the article is entitled, Israel and Hamas, Will There Ever Be Peace? And that is, uh, this was posted just a couple of weeks ago, October 16, by a Mr. Milo Jones. And so what I'm going to do, Brendan, I'll probably read a little bit, probably won't read the whole thing, because uh, just due to time constraints, but I wanted to hear a bit of your feedback on the article sure. and just a bit of what's going on there in the Middle East as we are all probably aware of the fighting that's happening between Israel and, and Hamas there. And so I just want to read a few lines from the article from Milo Jones. He begins by saying, When King Solomon built Israel's first empire, peace dominated the landscape. Solomon's father, King David, had spent most of his reign defend, defeating Israel's enemies and surviving civil wars. His victories on the battlefield had prepared the way for his son's work on the temple. Today, Christians around the globe are looking to Jerusalem for the temple to be rebuilt. But just as in David and Solomon's day, that cannot occur until Israel conquers all her enemies, restoring peace to the region. Considering the recent conflict between, well, not recent, current, Conflict between Israel and Hamas is Bible prophecy being fulfilled, and so what he does in the article, he kind of talks a little bit about what's going on there um, currently. Uh, Brendan, I'll just read a bit more here. Yep. He said on October seven, so it's a couple of few weeks now, the radical Islamic group Hamas attacked southern Israel, killing more than thirteen hundred men, women, and children, and taking at least one hundred fifty hostages. Obviously, that. Numbers probably s- s- ballooned by now. Yeah, I think it's over 1,400 now. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Israel retaliated by pounding northern Gaza with nearly a week of airstrikes, killing even more men, women, and children than Hamas did. Suddenly it's, quote, suddenly it's back to people killing people and people cheering others for killing people, said the head of the Dubai Public Pol- Policy Research Center. And he's quoted as saying, we're going backward. Just eight days before Hamas's attack... National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, I'm proposing this is from the United States, he was promoting the Biden administration's successes in the Middle East. The, quote, region is quieter today than it has been in two decades, he said. Apparently, the Hamas assault, the deadliest for Israelis since the Yom Kippur War 50 years earlier, came as a shock to U.S. officials. The conflict goes back to 1948, 
when Israel was established as an independent state. The United Nations, preparing for the end of Britain's occupation of Palestine, partitioned it into two countries, the Jewish state of Israel and the Arab state of Palestine. But the Palestinians and the Arab League, at the time comprising Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia and Yemen, rejected the partition and attacked Israel. After about nine months of fighting, Israel occupied much of the land and, and sorry, much of the land the United Nations had designated to the Arabs. In the Hebrew tongue, the first Arab-Israel war is called the War of Independence. Yes. In Arabic, it's called the Catastrophe because it displaced more than 700,000 Palestinians, many of whom took refuge in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Since then, there's been a series of wars between these two peoples. On October 13, after Israel had dropped 6,000 bombs on the Gaza Strip and amassed some 360,000 troops along the border, a reporter for the New York Times made this assessment, quote, As Israelis' armies prepare for a possible ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, the inferno flaring out from Gaza is turning into a potential nightmare for the entire region, threatening to destabilize not just Israel and the Palestinian territories, but also Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon. Um, there's a look, there's a bit more there, but I would, let me just cut right to the, the connection because he, he talks about uh, this prominent evangelical pastor. And then I'll whip the time to you, Pastor Brennan. It's he says, right. following the attack on October 7, a popular evangelical pastor asked Christians to join him in praying that God would, quote, put a spiritual hedge of protection around, quote, his people and their land. This pastor believed that or believes that Israel, quote, Israel fulfilled numerous prophecies in 1948, but to this day its boundaries do not reach the full extent of the promised land, end of quote. No, they don't. Yeah. The implication of his words is disturbing. The temple cannot be rebuilt until Israel dispossesses the inhabitants of, quote, Lebanon and the West Bank of Jordan and substantial portions of Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, end of quote. And he and Milo ends the article by saying this, um, Pastor Brian, is that the kind of peace we should be praying for? I think the simple answer is no, it's not. And here's an interesting point to consider when we look at the issue of rebuilding the Third Temple. What is to be accomplished by rebuilding a Third Temple? Christ died on Calvary back in the year AD 31, as we know. And Hebrews is very, very specific about the fact that um, his sacrifice was once for all. So if you're going to rebuild a temple, you're going to start animal sacrifices again, you're going to have a high priest, you're going to have priests ministering in an earthly sanctuary. What does that say to us as Christians and to those who are just, shall we say, casual observers, what does that say about Christ's sacrifice all those years ago? Yeah. Was it in vain? Is this actually blasphemous? Because in a sense, if you rebuild the temple and you start all the sacrifices again, you were saying, number one, that Christ's sacrifice was of no avail because we're still looking for a future Messiah. Now, you and I know that the Israelis as a whole don't believe that Christ was the, uh, the Messiah. Yep. So that also allows another option, and this is just worth thinking about. There are so many different varieties of, shall we say, prophetic interpretations, but here's, here's something to consider. If you rebuild the temple, if you start the animal sacrifices again, if you have a high priest offering on behalf of the people, if you have a day of atonement and all of those things, and our focus, rather than being on Jerusalem, should be on the heavenly sanctuary where the high priest operates on our behalf. Would it be possible, and I'm just throwing it out there, Will, would it be possible that the Antichrist that so many talk about yeah. would appear in a rebuilt third temple? Now, the question you'd have to ask yourself then is, how are you going to recognize him? And what does that uh, once again say about Christ's overall sacrifice? Is this taking away from the work that Christ is doing in heaven right now as our high priest according to the book of Hebrews and also according to the book of Revelation? It seems to me that when you read Revelation, there comes a point where a voice comes from the heavenly 
temple saying it is finished or it is done. That means time's up, yeah. as we would say in a, a game or something like that. This is probation closing. So I think all of those things have to be taken into consideration. Will they manage to cast out Lebanon, Egypt, Syria, and all the rest of them? My simple answer to that is no, I don't believe they will. And I'm seriously concerned about the ramifications of this third temple being rebuilt yeah. if it happens. I think it's unfulfilled prophecy, as those who believe it accept. Uh, it's also unfulfilled for those of us who wonder what the benefits of all of this would be. And I think we need to leave it in the Lord's hands. But what I can say is this, based on the word of God, Will, our focus today should be on the heavenly sanctuary where Christ is ministering as our high priest. He doesn't need a substitute. He doesn't need another one on earth. He did all of that back on Calvary in AD 31. His blood and his blood alone is what avails uh, for salvation from sin. Let's accept that, I think. Yeah. There are too many ifs, buts, and maybes about this, not just the article, but what's going to happen in the future. Only God knows the future. We need to place ourselves in his hands and say, Lord, we know that you'll work it out. How are you going to work it out? We don't know, but we trust you. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> well said. Well said, Pastor Brendan. So um, I guess just reading the article as well, just before we move on, um, just to spare a thought for all of the, I guess, the casualties that have you know, oh, the innocent terrible. families, mothers, place? fathers, yeah. children, you know, hospitals being blown up in, you know, innocent bison. I think that's the tragedy of war is that it is, is there are innocent people dying. And, um, look, let, just as Christians, we just need to be keeping that part of the world in our prayers. And I guess not just for that place, but just anywhere where there is, where there is people getting, you know, innocently killed and, you know, just, yeah. And they have nothing to do with it. So um, my heart goes out to the people of the Middle East in, at this too. particular hour. Mm. And so as Christians, um, yeah, I just want to encourage us and for our listeners who are, of, you know, just to spare a thought for the people in, in the Middle East, in Gaza, and, and the, the, the unrelenting, I guess, attacks from, oh, from the, Israel yeah. towards um, the people of Palestine. And so, um, yeah, it's a very sobering thought um, for the people of the Middle East and just the implications and ramifications of of um, how it affects other world nations, the United Nations, how it affects Australia to some degree, yeah. the what's happening there trickles down to, to our part of the world as well. So, so hey, um, but... Um, One interesting point about this, Will, I think yeah. it's worth uh, thinking about, is best I can determine, and probably you likewise, if you look at the current situation from October 7 up to October 30, which we're at today... This is not, and it has never been described in any uh, media report that I've read, and I've read the lot. I've read CNN, I've read BBC, yeah. I've read the local uh, ones right. in Australia and elsewhere as well. It's not been described as a religious war. Okay. The, Isra the Israeli government, by and large, is not religious. I think we need to get that straight. Correct. Yes, there are, there are people in Parliament, in the Knesset, who are religious. But they're not the ones who are pulling the strings. Benjamin Netanyahu, the uh, Prime Minister, is, uh, as far as I know, I don't think he, I think he's a secular, um, okay. Jew. Yeah. And this, this business, trying to tie in Bible prophecy into all of this, there may be a religious undertone there somewhere, but it seems to me, from Israel's point of view, they're simply thinking of survival and the destruction of Hamas. And Hamas, in fact, doesn't even represent the views of all Palestinians. I feel sorry for the Palestinians who will be yeah. bombed to smithereens because they're being used as human shields, and that's that's definitely the case. And whilst I'm not taking sides on either side, you've got these poor people who are sort of caught in a sandwich between the Israeli military and the Palestinian militants. And these poor people, they have nowhere to go. Uh, whether they're religious or not is um, not probably the issue that we need to discuss. But purely from a humanitarian point of view, um, the problem is, as far as I can see, if they send in fuel to power their generators and all the rest of it, Hamas commandeer the fuel. So 
there may be a, an issue here where food, water, medical supplies and that sort of thing, yes, they're desperately needed, but are they getting through to the people that really need them and are they being allowed to get through? That's that's probably the only comment yeah. I can make because we're not on the ground. We don't actually know, but if you look at enough media reports, you realise the situation is absolutely dire. Yeah. Well, we need to keep the the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in our prayers. And so, I think um, so, yeah. So I um, hope you enjoyed the article to some degree. Um with respect to this focus on Jerusalem, and um, we understand with Bible prophecy that it's a bit larger than what many Christians um, are emphasizing in regards to literal uh, Israel, the Middle East, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to go to a, our, a break, but before we do that, we'd like to promote... What's, our, what's our promo for this week? Yeah, we so, haven't had that one yet. Yep, mm-hmm. so the book offer is entitled The Marked Bible by Charles L. Taylor. Let me read this little... A um, little background to um, how it's Will? Charles's I, life. I actually read that book. Oh, so you've read the book? Um, not recently, but I have read that book. It's a really, really good book. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I need to get into it too. Okay. <laughs> so here it is. That when Harold Wilson found a Bible hidden away in the sailor's chest, he flung the book over the ship's railing and into the sea. Harold would have nothing to do with the Bible. His mother had so lovingly marked in hopes that he would read its pages and turn from his life of crime and vice. But like Jonah, the runaway prophet, Harold couldn't run from God no matter how hard he tried. The classic story of a mother's love, a rebellious son, and the transforming power of God's word. With the drama of a trans-Pacific Ocean voyage as a backdrop, the marked Bible takes center stage in the lives of Harold and his traveling companions as a strange preacher begins to reveal a forgotten truth from its pages. The entire ship is in an uproar and soon lives, soon, sorry, soon lives will be changed forever. It's an electrifying story of what can happen when sincere hearts pursue God's truth, no matter the cost. Absolutely get it, guys. So, hey, that's a recommendation and endorsement from our very own Pastor Brenton. If you would like a free copy of the book, The Mark Bible by Charles L. Taylor, you need to text the code here into the studio, SA142. You need to text SA142 to the number 04888880811. One more time, the code SA142. You need to text that code to 04888880811, and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. We'll promote the book offer one more time uh, towards the end of the show, but before we do that, we'll go to some music, and we'll be back in just a few moments. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit Needless pain we bear All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never So faithful Who will all our sorrows share Jesus knows our every weakness Take it to the Lord in prayer Are we weak and heavy laden Cumbered with a load of care Savior still our refuge Take it to the Lord in prayer Do your friends despise, forsake you Take it to 
Chris Rice, what we, what a friend we have in Jesus. You're look, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Will and Brenton here in the studio. Uh, we're starting off our new theme for the week: five biblical roads that all Christians travel. And today, Brenton and I are looking at the the particular topic: the Calvary Road is sacrifice just for Christ. So I understand, uh, Pastor Brenton, we're going to be diving into a passage in the New we Testament. Are. We are. We're looking at Luke chapter 23 for those who are listening. But before we get to Luke 23, I'm going to read chapter 9 because there needs to be a little bit of background to what takes place in chapter 23 and chapter 22. It says in Luke nine fifty one. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What's interesting, Will, is that here Christ knows, Christ knows the timetable that was set back in the days of eternity. He knows that time is nearly up. This is about six months before he went to the cross, where he starts the journey slowly towards Jerusalem. Remember, he made the comment once that no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Correct. And so um, that's the setting for what we get. Then we come to the night of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest, and the seven trials that he had before, firstly, Annas, then Caiaphas, then the Sanhedrin, then he went to Pilate, then he went to Herod, then back to Pilate, and then the last one was, I find no fault in him. What do you want me to do with this man? I'm washing my hands of the whole situation. What's, what's your call on it? Right. Speaking to the um, the people, what's their answer? Crucify him. Yeah. Crucify him. So you've got those particular things. But in chapter 23, rather than reading 49 verses, which we simply haven't got time to do, I'd like to share how Christ's sacrifice, which was to take place, affected a number of people. And I'm going to read from verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Jerusalem, or rather from Galilee to this place. All of the things that are said, all of the accusations that are made here at the start are false. He wasn't stirring up the people. He was very careful. In other places, it says they accused him of telling people that they didn't have to pay taxes to Caesar. We know full well that that was not true either. So all the falsehoods, or what we would call today fake news, (laughs) or misinformation, (laughs) Misinformation. is taking place here in the first five verses. Who was Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate's an interesting character. Um, He came to that area. He was known as a procurator. And he was appointed to that position, I believe, by Tiberius, the Emperor Tiberius. Now, he knew about Jesus. I don't believe he'd ever been and listened to Christ preach or teach or anything like that. But here what's happened is that the priests and rulers have decided that he is worthy of death. And because they're subject to the Roman government, they had to get the Romans' approval to put him to death. So that's that's the backdrop to this. However, we know from the book of Matthew that his wife sent him a uh, message saying, I've had a dream about this man. Leave him alone. He's an innocent man. But uh, Pilate, unfortunately, realized that 
the pressure that was being put on him by these Jews was such that he had to make a decision. Would he release an innocent man or would he either condemn him or allow the mob to have their way because he wanted to retain his position as procurator? What's ironic about all of this is that in AD 39 uh, Caligula, the next emperor, banished him. He was actually kicked out of his uh, position in uh, Judea as procurator and he took his own life. He committed suicide in AD 39. Uh, the uh, Christian historian Eusebius says that he took his own life. Wow. Okay. So that's how he ended up. But the story of Pilate is interesting because he, uh, Jesus comes back to Pilate twice and the second time it says after he'd been to Herod, it says then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence. I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back. I sent him to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And of course, we know the story that they wanted Barabbas released to them. Uh, I find it interesting when you're studying these, and I'll go through these, as, uh, as um, summarise them as quickly as I can. There is a point where in the book of John, Pilate says to Jesus, Aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to answer me? Don't you realize yeah. that I have the ultimate power? I can release you or have you crucified. We know what Christ's answer was, but it's interesting. I believe um, Pilate's opportunity for salvation, i.e. Christ's sacrifice, took place there and then, and he uh, rejected that um, opportunity. The next person that we're going to have a look at is a guy called Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. He was not his oldest son. In fact, he was his youngest son. And he was the same guy who had John the Baptist beheaded. Correct. And uh, interestingly enough, in AD 39, after he had taken his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, um, Herodias and her son got together and they sent some accusations about Herod Antipas to the emperor and the emperor banished him and he went to Gaul uh, with Herodias and he died over there. So each of the people so far that have had something to do with Jesus Christ, his sacrifice that he was about to offer on Calvary for them and I believe the question was, is the sacrifice just for Christ? The answer is no. The sacrifice is for all of us, but it has to be accepted. And I think the principle that we're looking at today in the Bible is this. We have to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Pilate didn't. Herod didn't. Because <coughs> when um, <coughs> Herod went to, um, had Jesus in his power, all he wanted to do was show us a miracle, show us yeah. a miracle. And Christ wouldn't do that. Once again, Christ didn't say a thing. Now, I found it interesting. As I studied these different people, I asked myself a question. Is this just a fulfillment of prophecy or is there more to it than that? Because we know Isaiah 53 tells us that um, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I wonder, and I'm just putting it out there, I wonder whether... Um, both Pilate and Herod had passed their opportunity of salvation and the reason Christ never said anything to them because he had nothing more to offer them. Remember, Herod had had the witness of John the Baptist. He knew John the Baptist. He'd listened to him talk. He'd listened to his calls to repentance and yet he still had him executed after that drunken feast. Uh, Pilate, I believe Pilate had had the opportunity when he said, what is truth? And he didn't take up that option of Jesus explaining. He said, Christ said, I have came to reveal the truth to everybody. And he basically said, almost in half mocking tones, what is truth? So I wonder the reason why Jesus was, um, shall we say, <coughs> that he was um, 
dealing with these guys in the way that he was by remaining silent is that, <clears throat> and here's a lesson for us, maybe their opportunity for salvation had passed. The Holy Spirit calls people today. We have people listening to our program today who I'm sure the Holy Spirit is working with. Yep. And the opportunity for salvation is today. And one of the major things I get out of this is you never know and I never know when the last call to repentance is going to be made. Yeah. Uh, we do not know when the Holy Spirit is calling people they makes their very last call, whether it's prior to their death or prior to something else taking place. We don't know when that's going to happen. So when the opportunity to know the truth, believe the truth, and be obedient to the truth comes, we should take it. Correct. And I think that's uh, probably one way of looking at this particular um, situation. Uh, as I was looking down through here, I was, I'll just read verse 14 to 16. Uh, I find no fault in him yet. I've read that. For it was Ness, uh, and they all cried away with him. Now, Pilate, unfortunately, has the opportunity to release him and chooses uh -huh. not to do so. And so it's all downhill from there on. For, um, seven, eight years later, he is banished by the Emperor Caligula. We don't know where to. I think it was back to Rome. And uh, one of the uh, sources that I uh, read suggested that the Caligula told him to kill himself. So maybe he brought disgrace on uh, the uh, Roman right. power. Now, there are others here as well. There's the priests and rulers. Now, in Matthew twenty six sixty three, where they say to him, Are you the Christ? He initially didn't give any answer. They said, What about all these... Um, charges that are being brought against you it says he answered, answered not a word I believe the priests and rulers had passed their opportunity for salvation and this is another reason why I feel reasonably convinced that the reason he said not a word was not just in fulfilment of Isaiah 53 but the fact that their probation had closed and when their probation had closed he had nothing more to offer them I think there's a very strong lesson there for us. If you here, if anyone listening around Australia today hears God's voice speaking to them, please don't reject it. Don't turn away from it. Because who knows when you're going to get another opportunity. Who knows whether you will get another opportunity. There's some of the things I think that we need to think about, Will. Correct. I don't know whether you've got yep. any thoughts on it. Um, yeah, I think obviously as you've been unpacking the the gospel account of Eventually, the events that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Obviously, there's there's a somewhat apprehension on behalf of these various leaders to you know to condemn Jesus, but on the same time they've they've got opportunity to accept what he was saying. So I I think that the story of Jesus and what ultimately led to his death on the cross is will be a, a topic for Christians and people all over the world to. Analyze because it, in some ways there's injustice there. Some in some ways there's um, the man didn't get a free trial. I mean he the his own people I he, guess he plotted did, to he take him. He didn't get a fair trial. So and all of the things that were done were done at night. You yeah. remember they tried him at night, which was against yeah. the, the judicial system of Judaism, and it was a hand picked. I I wouldn't use the term trial. Um, I wouldn't use the term trial jury. I would use the term kangaroo court. Okay. It was hand-picked people. Who wasn't there? Nicodemus. Who wasn't there? Joseph of Arimathea. Who wasn't there? Anybody who was sympathetic to Jesus' cause right. was not called out at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning okay. to try this man. So what you're saying is quite correct. All of this suggests that this is just a total mockery. It, it, yeah. it broke all the rules of the judicial system. They said, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And he said, it is as you say, and henceforth you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God and coming in the clouds with great glory. And they said, what further need do we have of any proof? You've heard the blasphemy. What should we do? Put him to death. Now, under the Jewish system, you know that, a person could not be coerced into condemning themselves. Here he is, they're using his testimony that he said about himself to bring about the death sentence. Okay. So the whole thing is, well, 
you could do a whole study on this. Yeah. <laughs> we hey. haven't got time, but you could. You could yeah. do a whole study yeah, on this. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Hey, Brendan, we're going we're gonna to have to pause here and go to a break, and uh, we just need to promote the book offer just one more time. Um, our book offer for today and for the rest of the week is called The Marked Bible by Charles L. Taylor. It's a, quite a fascinating fascinating story uh, of an individual that have had come to accept Jesus as Lord. And so, hey, if you'd like a free copy of this book, uh, we kind of gave a little blurb about it at the beginning of the show, but um, hey, we want to give you the opportunity um, to, for you to, if you haven't read the book, for, to read the book, and if you want to use it as a witnessing or you want to share it with a friend or colleague, um, you need to text the code SA142 to our number in the studio, 04888-80811, and uh, we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. So once again, the title of the book is The Marked Bible by Charles L. Taylor, and if you like a free copy, all you need to do is text the code SA142 to our number in the studio, 04888-80811, and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. But please don't go away. We're going to some music. We'll be back in just a few moments. Lift your head, little one Lift your eyes to see the sun Lift your heart and burden soul Oh, rejoice in hope Lift your head Was hope, patience, and prayer by Anna Beaton. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ and A with myself, Will, and Brenton in the studio. Hey, if you've just joined us, we're right on the last few minutes of our live show today, and we've been looking at the question: the Calvary Road is sacrifice just for Christ. And our overarching theme for the for today and the rest of the week is five biblical roads that all Christians travel. And so today we've been looking at one of those roads, the Calvary Road. And so, Brenton, uh, walk us through, um, you know, the... You know, you're talking about Jesus, uh, Luke 23. We're talking about people who uh, interacted with Christ on the cross 
and whether sure. they took the opportunity for salvation or not. Okay. So far, we've covered Pontius Pilate, we've covered Herod, Antipas, and we've covered the priests and rulers. And in each case, Christ was silent at some time during the interrogation process. I see that as actually being fairly significant. Okay. But anyway, um, I want to finish on a positive note. And the positive note is we're going to have a look at the thieves on the cross. I use the word thieves, not thief. We always talk thief. Verse 32 of chapter 23, we find it says this, there are also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. I think all Christians recognize on this journey, we call it the Calvary Road, that Christ was deliberately put in the middle to show that he was the worst of the three of them. Yes, they were all being executed by crucifixion, but he was the worst. Right. And they had a sign above him in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, which said the King of the Jews. Let's go over a little bit further because this is a really interesting one. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, that's significant because the Greek suggests that he's saying, so you are the Christ then, are you? Question mark, big question mark. Well, if you are, save yourself and us. In other words, I don't believe it personally. Yeah. But here again, um, you know yourself that um, it was said around the cross by the priests and rulers, he saved others, but himself he couldn't save. What's yeah. wrong with this guy? Why doesn't he come down from the cross? Yeah. Well, isn't it ironic that some of the key sayings of the priests and rulers around the time of the crucifixion, the Calvary Road, they're actually speaking the truth, even though it's said in jest yeah. or in derision or in mockery. So there's some of the things. But anyway, let me keep reading. But the other one answered saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. I find that interesting. He recognizes, number one, that they're being executed because they have committed the crime. They've committed the time, uh, committed the crime, but now they're not doing the time. They're actually going to be executed. Yeah. So one recognizes that and basically says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. So I believe that's his opportunity. Here's this man saying, but this man, I recognize that this man has done nothing wrong. Now let me read you some verses, Will, that are some of the most controversial for some people in scripture. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let me just break that down in the time that we've got left. What kingdom is this guy looking for? When you read this, when Christians all around Australia read this, I want you to think about this seriously. What kingdom were they looking for? They weren't looking for heaven. They were looking for an earthly kingdom where Christ would come and sit on the throne of David. And he, there's a couple of things here that are revealed in the statement he made. Number one, um, the Greek again says, um, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Um, the Greek suggests that it means whenever that is whenever you come into your kingdom. But he's acknowledging one key point, and that's the key point that all we as Christians and the five ways that we're looking at this week, all we as Christians believe that without the resurrection there is no hope for the future. Yep. So this guy here is saying, I believe there is a resurrection, and I believe, Lord, when you go come into your kingdom, please remember me which would suggest that he's expecting to be resurrected as well. But the type of kingdom I believe that he was looking for was not the type of kingdom that Christ was offering. Yep. In other order, order to understand the type of kingdom that Christ was offering, you need to go to John 14, 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will 
come again and Correct. receive you unto myself or take you to myself, I think it is. So the type of kingdom he's looking for is an earthly one. When Jesus said, verily, today I will, um, you will be with me in paradise, we know by comparing that with John 19 and other places and what I've just quoted that the thief didn't go to paradise that day. Christ didn't go to paradise that day. So whatever kingdom he was looking for, uh, and it was an earthly one, isn't it ironic that one day he's going to be in heaven, he'll see Jesus again and recognise him because Christ was on the cross with him, he'll see the nail prints in his hands and feet, and he'll say, hey, this is the guy that was crucified with me. Yeah. And here we are, we're in, we're in heaven. We're not in uh, some um, throne room in Jerusalem. We're in the heavenly Jerusalem, the new yeah. Jerusalem. So this man accepted Jesus as his Lord and Saviour, even though he didn't understand fully, A, the nature of the kingdom, or B, where Christ was talking about when he said, Verily today you will be with me in paradise. Lesson to take from it. I believe the lesson today is a, is a pretty simple one on this one. There are going to be many people, I believe, will in the kingdom of heaven who don't understand everything. Yeah. But they understand one thing. They understand that the only way that they can be saved is through Jesus Christ. They may not understand the 2,300 days. They may not understand the second coming uh, properly as the Bible presents it, but they have accepted Jesus and said, Lord, help me. And he's not going to turn them away. Yep. And I reckon that's a message that we really can leave with our listeners for this evening. Two key lessons out of this one. I mentioned the first one earlier on, but this second one I believe is equally, if not more important, and that is, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I believe that should be our cry today. We yeah. know what Christ's kingdom is. We know where paradise is. He didn't know either of those things, and yet he's still going to be there. So for yeah. us today, I believe there's a greater responsibility to share that uh, knowledge of what is Christ's kingdom, where is it, and when is it coming, they're the things that we should be able to share with others and help them to be ready for yeah. Christ's return. Amen to that. Hey, Brendan, our time is up, unfortunately, yes, and um, I'm loving what you were saying about the God's grace and his, the gospel is for everyone, and we all have that opportunity to respond while, while there is time. And so thank you, Pastor Brendan, for unpacking some of those um, that theme through the book of Luke and in the New Testament. Hey, um, for our listeners out there, our time is up. Please join our host tomorrow, um, Ricardo and Marty, as they look at the question, the Emmaus Road. We looked at the Calvary Road just as a short introduction. Tomorrow they'll be looking at the Emmaus Road. Is discouragement normal? That's the question Ricardo and Marty will look at tomorrow. So please, we'll encourage you to tune in once again. But until then, we want to leave you with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May God bless you, and we'll hope to see you next time. God bless. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation, purchase of God Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood this is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior
is my story.